I'm still surprised oftentimes that people don't understand that there are significant tax issues to using cryptocurrency to pay for things. And if you get paid in cryptocurrency, you're essentially being paid in stock and you have to pay income on that. And then if it goes up from that, you go, that's your basis. And then if you pay for something, that's a taxable event. So if you use your cryptocurrency to pay for a Ferrari, that gain in the crypto that you had, you're gonna have to pay a capital gains tax on it. So you're actually paying a little bit more. You're listening to On Purpose with Tyrone Ross, brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. This show is for advisors, by advisors, on all things crypto, and we appreciate you. And now, here's Tyrone. All right, welcome back to another episode of the On Purpose Podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Ross. If you guys follow this, you knew it was coming. All of the advisors out there, it is time to talk about estate planning and wealth planning around Bitcoin and other digital assets. There is no one better in the FinTwit and just advisory space overall and then the family office space to talk to than Frazier Rice, who joins me today. How are you, sir? I am terrific. I'm talking to you from Chattanooga, Tennessee right now. But it's a thrill to be on, and it's fun watching your progress. I appreciate you, man. And I've I've done your pro, your podcast before, and a lot of the things that are manifesting in my life now is because of you and, and giving me a platform and just promoting what I'm doing. So I I appreciate you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So you are here on purpose, which is <laughs> the point of the podcast to talk about all of the things that fly under the radar, which is probably the most important, right? But doesn't get talked about enough on crypto podcasts at all, but especially if this is going to be for advisors, by advisors, then we should discuss it. And just a true basic high level look at estate planning when it comes to Bitcoin. And let's just stay there for this conversation. But sure. right away, I just want to ask in general, what are some of the conversations that you've been having and some of the things you've been hearing in the space when it comes to Bitcoin and the high net worth and ultra high net worth segment? Well, the interesting thing I find is that conversations haven't really developed a lot yet. Uh, I definitely get a few phone calls a week saying, you know, I've got these crypto holdings, Bitcoin, and I feel like I need to start thinking about an estate plan. What do I do? I try to take it back to an even higher level than that. And this is something that a lot of advisors are used to which is you need to have an estate plan generally. And many times the, the crypto holdings are a portion of it. Then once we start getting into the details around the crypto holdings, that's when it gets a little bit tricky because it's such an unusual asset class. Right. And I know we've spoken you know, by DM about some of the issues of you know, being in high tax states and where is you know, crypto is on the blockchain, but where is it truly domiciled and things like that. Let's talk about this, because I think there's so many issues here that we can attack. But again, we're, we're talking to advisors and this whole thing thrown around about being a fiduciary, right? And we've had this conversation on Twitter, but from your lens, right, and, and dealing with true fiduciaries, talk about an advisor saying they're fiduciary versus those that are truly fiduciaries with handling assets and moving money and transferring you know, these type of assets, all types of assets rather, but especially crypto and the challenges that come around that. Because I really want to make that distinction so advisors understand the lens that you see it through versus the lens that we always throw out there, just because it sounds like a really good marketing term. 
Yeah, no, this, you raise a really important point. And it comes down, in my opinion, to the functions that you are providing. So in my world, uh, as a trustee, uh, usually in a corporate trustee setting, I have three major functions that I have to worry about. The first one is the record keeping and the administration of the assets that are within a trust. Uh, the second one is making sure that they're distributed correctly, usually in accordance with the trust document, sometimes by state law or sometimes by discretion. And then the third one is the investment component. So I think what you're talking about in many ways with a lot of advisors in the RIA space and beyond is making sure that they are performing their investment function correctly. Uh, and so the big difference, I would say, in sort of fiduciary, RIA fiduciary and fiduciary, more trustee fiduciary is that a trustee has other functions that are at play. Sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. But at the same time, for the typical RAA advisor, they're worried about making sure that the investment piece is in place, that the financial plan is in place, the dollars and cents are moving forward. Sometimes I have to worry about other things beyond that. Right. And that is such a key distinction. And I want to pair with that, right? The recent news that we've had in the crypto space that Anchorage the, the qualified custodian, which is truly a qualified custodian now based on what the SEC deems to be a qualified custodian as they have the bank charter. And that part of the fiduciary, the other part of the fiduciary responsibilities that you were talking about, now a financial advisor can outsource, right? They can, they can fulfill the responsibility of giving best advice in the best interest of the client rather, and then making sure that the record keeping and safekeeping of the assets are outsourced, right, to a true qualified custodian. So the space is continuing to evolve at a pace that I think the biggest and largest of advisors can appreciate. And I want to move to this part of the conversation where it's also I was excited to talk to you about this. So we have some family offices that we are engaged with for on-ramp that have invested in on-ramp and that continue to be a valued resource as we go out and try to make crypto assets accessible and easy for not only family office RIAs, right? But more importantly, the space overall. So I want to ask you this, when you look across the family office landscape and dealing with, you know, estate plans and, and really large trust, what do you see now where the industry is failing to address that it needs to be, you know, targeted and, and resolved if we're going to see meaningful flows from the family office RIA segment? of the financial services space? Well, there's lots of areas that need improvement, I'd say, and that's not a failing of the industry. It's just that everything is evolving so quickly that it just hasn't had time to catch up. But from an estate planning perspective, I think that the, the messaging that doesn't get through to the actual crypto holder or the family office holder is the idea that you have to build into your thinking, you have to envision a time when someone or some institution is going to be responsible for your crypto holding. And that's how life is going to work. People will die and those crypto holdings will go on to the next generation, maybe to philanthropies, maybe they will stay within an institution. The thing that I think that needs to happen is that there has to be some broader thinking and messaging around the concept that there needs to be a workflow, a structure, an analysis of how that is going to look. And the thing that's exciting about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular is that the things that make it interesting from a transparency and at the same time security component can make it very frustrating in terms of 
establishing trusted relationships and trusted structures to be able to fulfill next generation goals. That to me is really the next step is to get people who have had experiences moving a cryptocurrency asset from one generation to the next. What does that look like? What do best practices look like? And how do you do it in such a way that it's tax efficient? Love it. That's, that's free jewelry right there, as I would call it. So let's talk about this. And, I, and I've spoken about this on Twitter as well. It's come out a lot. The concept of, and not even a concept, it's a real thing, a digital fiduciary. Mm-hmm. It kind of bleeds into what you were saying before about, you know, just the preparedness and the workflow of, all right, an advisor sits down with a client and the client wants to own Bitcoin, right? And there's a whole bunch of things that need to happen there, right? Reprofile the client, right? The plan, all again, inside of the flows. One of the things that advisors are going to have to ask, right, is about next of kin. Who beyond you understands this stuff, right? So if right. something happens, we're able to do this. And then this also bleeds into the multi-signature part of it, right? Advisors don't want to be signing off on transactions, right? That's where you want part of the conversation before, a true fiduciary handling that. So let's just talk about a digital fiduciary, again, at a high level, if you can walk through what that is and why it's something that advisors should be asking clients about and bringing up in these conversations as clients start to accumulate sizable positions in Bitcoin and other digital assets. Yeah. You bring up something that I think may be a huge opportunity in the future is that person or group of people or institution that is a digital fiduciary or has expertise in the space. As you noted, the idea of having a qualified digital custodian is important, not only from an RIA perspective, but frankly, from just a knowing how to do things perspective. The space is so interesting because you have the concept of cold versus hot storage. How do exchanges work? How does staking work? Uh, Those types of scenarios. To expect one person at one institution to have a handle on all of that is unrealistic, I think. And in my world, I'm a lawyer by background. I try to worry about trust and estates plans. I try to worry about taxation. These are all different functions that at some level, you're going to have to be able to outsource that expertise. As an analogy, when someone passes away, many times there's an executor named in a will, and that person has to sort of navigate the court system and make sure that the will is prosecuted correctly. Uh, If there are trusts set up, oftentimes there's a trustee. All of these are different functions that it's infrequent that you're able to find one person, A, that even knows what they are, let alone is an expert in them. And when you have people that have significant wealth that's building up in cryptocurrencies, and it is a real thing, I'm seeing it all the time. Just had a tweet from somebody two days ago who was asking me about a $7 million position in Bitcoin and what do I do? I think the idea is to understand that you have to assemble a team that effectuates all of your different goals. That's you need an accountant. You'd need an investment advisor. You probably need a lawyer at some point, uh, certainly a trust and states lawyer if you go that route. And I think the idea of someone who has expertise as a digital fiduciary, meaning they understand the plumbing of how this stuff works, that's going to be important because when putting together long-term plans, you're going to have to be able to educate the next generation or the people who are going to take on your cryptocurrencies as to what exists and where. You're going to need to be able to find things like digital keys and seeds and access codes and understand how the multi-signature process works. And that's all part of designing a larger workflow plan around your ultimate wealth structuring. You know, I think the concept of a 
sort of that digital advisor or digital fiduciary who puts the client first and who builds in the workflows around security that helps keep people comfortable and transparent on those types of issues, I think that's going to be a major growth engine going forward. So good. So good. That's, and this is exactly why I wanted to have you on. Let's move to this now, which I think is the most important part of this. And I think you would agree, whether it's you know, large family offices, whether it's trust and estate planning, tax planning, financial planning, whether it's just buy and sell, technical analysis, whatever it is, education, right? And the education in this space right now needs to evolve. It needs to become more in depth. It needs to be segmented and targeted to individual groups. There's just can't give blanket education. So one observation from you, and then just a question, but from the observation standpoint, do you see as far as the segment of the population that you work with and the, the folks that you work with and serve, do you see the education building up there and the models there from an observation standpoint, just from what you see? And then a question is, folks like myself that are out wanting to educate advisors and wanting to educate our space, what can we do better to make sure that the message is getting through? Because we are crypto hippies and it's easy to, <laughs> you know, right, it's easy to pound the table, but what could we be doing better to make sure that the message is actually getting through? So the observation part, I think it's still catch as catch can with education. Sometimes your education depends on whom you happen to follow on certain things. You know, guys like Pomp, who I have a certain amount of respect for, uh, he, he's coming at it from, a, from one viewpoint that is pretty definitive and it's a very optimistic viewpoint and, and useful. But if you really are trying to get in and dig into the weeds on certain things and understand risks, sometimes people of that ilk sometimes default to, quote unquote, do your own research. And then you're left to do your own research and you have to find people in different spaces. So I think it is a bit unconsolidated. And I think best practices are still up in the air on things. And part of that comes from the fact that major institutions, while adoption is happening, and you're seeing it BNY Mellon and elsewhere, it's happening and the, the message isn't clear as to what that is. As to how do you fix that, you mentioned something very interesting. And I think the first part of it is segmentation. There are certain people for whom they don't need to understand how the calculator works. It just needs to do two plus two for you. And so I think the idea that from an education standpoint, understanding where Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies fit within an asset allocation and what the risks are and aren't with that I think that's one level to go. I think there are going to be people who want to get into the weeds a little bit on how it works, how you have sort of this concept that a group of people and nodes effectuate transactions and the blockchain sort of helps get you from A to Z on certain things. That will help the understanding for the people who really want to invest in Bitcoin and view it as an investment, maybe less so than as a currency. And then the third segment is when you, you know, that's when you're starting to get into master's and PhD level situations and getting into the weeds legally as to does the custody of your cryptocurrency in one state create taxation issues or does it create asset protection issues for the practitioner, for that group of people that need that in-depth component. I think there's a real opening for I would describe it as useful education, sort of CLE types of situations that help get people up to speed. And then people can kind of select into the level of expertise that they want to get into. Again, so many jewels. I hope you all are out there picking them up. And I want to end on this. And I think this is the last part of this puzzle here, so to speak, when you start to talk about really robust 
planning, right? And, and planning takes on many forms, as you know, right? And we've spoken about the financial planning piece that includes estate planning, that includes tax planning and legacy planning and so on and so forth. So as we move into, you know, what looks to be, I don't know if you want to say the beginning, the back half, the middle of this bull run, right? And there's just so much news coming out. Morgan Stanley now getting access before some of the largest RIAs in the, in the country and Citibank putting out a report and JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs opened up their trading desk again for the fourth time. And like, <laughs> boy, I don't know what's going on there, but they'll probably close it again soon. But what are you keeping an eye on? Like, what is going to be the thing for you over the next six to 12 months where you go, okay, and maybe it's happened already. I'd be willing to, you know, listen to that as well if it happened already and hear it. But what is the one thing you're looking for where you go, all right, we've crossed over. This is prime time now. Cause you know, it's always, oh, the institutions, the institutions, but nobody knows that better than you, right? But I guess, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who knows? Yeah, exactly. But I would love to know either what you've seen that you're kind of like, all right, we've crossed over or what you're looking for when you go, all right, that's going to be the thing it's gotten real. Yes, it's a great point. So there's two things that I look to specifically. The first one, I set up a Google search, I'd say seven years ago, where basically different iterations of real estate for Bitcoin. When you start to see people at scale and not, not just sort of a condo developer in Miami who sells unit for Bitcoin as sort of a marketing ploy. When you start seeing people paying for real estate with cryptocurrencies, that to me is when the world has crossed over and that this is a quote unquote real currency. Because that you're taking something that's tangible that has, you know, tens of thousands of years of pedigree and people are willing to trade that for this newer asset, that to me is when, if you start seeing that at real scale, that tells me that the institutions have dealt with it, the blockchain component, people have sort of bedded that into their own circuitry, and it's something that's going to be a force going forward. To that end, before you get there, in my own mind, I have this sort of notion of Bitcoin going from being sort of an investment to an actual currency. And I don't know at what level that is or at what level of adoption. But on one hand, I'm still surprised oftentimes that people don't understand that there are significant tax issues to using cryptocurrency to pay for things. And I think that it's essentially, if you get paid in cryptocurrency, you're essentially being paid in stock and you have to pay income on that. And then if it goes up from that, you go, that's your basis. And then if you pay for something, that's a taxable event. So if you use your cryptocurrency to pay for a Ferrari, uh, that gain in the crypto that you had, you're going to have to pay a capital gains tax on it. So you're actually paying a little bit more. I think the other area is if you start to see the law change where the taxation of cryptocurrency goes from a property standpoint to something that looks more like a cash standpoint, I think that's another marker where you will have seen this asset class graduate into the world of being a currency and it will have all sorts of different attributes and so on as a result. But then it'll be a lot more like dealing with dollars for euros and so on and so forth, as opposed to what it is now. Yeah. I love that you bring up buying stuff with Bitcoin on a day where Elon Musk announces that you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin now. Quick newsflash reaction, guys. That's dumb. But anyway, <laughs> we're, moving, we're moving on. Again, I think you nailed it there. I have nothing to add there, but I think it's true. I think two things that I think that I'm keeping an eye on. One, it would be nice if this SEC and CFTC got together 
basically told RAs in the space, look, it's not a security, but it'll be regulated as one. And also, I think as well, if the regulation comes down where now it's considered like cash, right? And people can just use it to transact and do those things. Those would be huge. And we cross over there. Incredibly grateful for your time, sir. Let the people know where they can find you on Twitter. Plug the book, plug it all before we get out of here. Okay, great. Uh, So you can find me at Twitter at Fraser Rice, F-R-A-Z-E-R-R-I-C-E. I I wrote a book called Wealth Actually, which you can find on Amazon, uh, et cetera, which talks a lot about wealth issues and how to think about communicating wealth concepts to the next generation. I work for Pendleton Square Trust, and I have a podcast called Wealth Actually as well, which uh, Tyrone thoughtfully appeared on and was terrific. You know, I would just say if you have questions or want to think about really fleshing out what's happening with cryptocurrency and if it's part of your estate plan, I'm always happy to sort of take a call or a tweet and and help you think it through. Thank you so much, sir. And all of you listening, you know what I'm about to say. If you made it this far in the program, there is no reason why there should be hungry children in this country. Please rush off of here. NoKidHungry.org. Please feed a hungry child buy Frazier's book and then with the proceeds and the rest that you have left to change your Satoshis, go feed more hungry children. Um, But Frazier, thank you so much for coming on. See you guys on the next one. And of course, whatever you do in life, do on purpose. I appreciate you. Thank you, Tyrone.